0: I'm going to begin this morning by recounting some of the events of John Newton's life. John Newton is best known as the author of the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And we are going to close our service this morning by singing together Amazing Grace. I've used a number of sources this morning in compilating this material, but uh, the one that I relied on most heavily is a short biography of John Newton's life by John Piper. Well, John Newton's life, his life had been a difficult one. He was born the son of a godly mother, but a very irreligious and drunken father. His mother died when he was six years of age. He only went to school for two years, from ages eight to ten. At the age of 11, he began sailing with his father and made five voyages to the Mediterranean until he was 18. He says of his father, I was with him in a state of fear and bondage. At the age of 18, he was pressed into naval service against his will and he says to the companions that he met there that they completed the ruin of his principles. He deserted, was apprehended, stripped of his rank, and publicly flogged. Back to the ship he went. But he was nothing but a troublemaker on board. At the age of 20, he was put off the ship on a small island uh, just off the African coast where he was a slave to a master and his wife. On that island, he was treated miserably. Remarkably, a year and a half later, a vessel was passing by and saw some smoke coming from that island and they decided to stop and put it off anchor. And the captain of that ship turned out to be an old friend of John Newton's father and uh, managed to gain Newton's uh, freedom. And so he boarded ship and was on his way back home on the way back home they encountered a very severe storm and remember that he had been at sea virtually all of his life. And uh, he speaks of that that storm and the effect that it had upon him. He says that he cried out to God for mercy after a number of individuals on board that ship had uh, been swept overboard and were killed. Thus far I was answered, he says, that before we arrived in Ireland, I had a satisfactory evidence in my own mind of the truth of the gospel, as considered in itself, and of his exact suitableness to answer all my needs. I stood in need of an almighty Savior, and such a one I found described in the New Testament. Thus far the Lord had wrought a marvelous thing. I was no longer an infidel. I heartily renounced my former profaneness and had taken up some right notions, was seriously disposed, and sincerely touched with a sense of the undeserved mercy I had received, and being brought safe through so many dangers. I was sorry for my past misspent life and purposed an immediate reformation. I was quite freed from the habit of swearing, which seemed to have been deeply rooted in me as a second nature. Thus, to all appearance, I was a new man. He was converted March 21st, 1748. Newton had experienced some remarkable changes in his life. But one area of his life I've always found to be quite curious. And that is for six years after this time, he said that he had no Christian friend Excuse me. Excuse me. He had no Christian friend or faithful minister to advise him. In that period of time he became the captain of a slave trading ship and continued in that trade for a number of years until he experienced an epileptic seizure and finally had to leave the sea. In his mature years he came to feel intense remorse for his participation in the slave trade, and joined William Wilberforce in opposing it. However, that transformation was very slow in coming. As I said, after his conversion, he still was a slave trader for a number of years. That only ended because of his physical inability to then be at sea. But even after he left sea, He uh, invested and profited greatly from the slave trade. It was a long time before he came to realize how awful that was. Thirty years after leaving the sea, he wrote an essay entitled Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. And that treatise closed with these words A commerce so iniquitous, so cruel, so oppressive, so destructive as the African slave trade. Eventually, John Newton went on to be a pastor. In 1764, he was called to the pastorate of the church in England and served there for almost 16 years. Then he accepted the call at the age of 54 to St. Mary's Woolnorth in London, where he began a 27-year uh, pastorate. He, worked, he wrote the words to Amazing Grace in 1773 to illustrate a message that he was preaching that New Year's Day. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. He finally came to realize the great sinfulness of the oppression that he had been involved in. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says that we should not be shocked by oppression. Ephesians 5.8 states. If you see oppression of the poor. And denial of justice and righteousness in the province. Do not be shocked at the sight. Don't be shocked at the sight. Why? Answer, because oppression is everywhere. It is commonplace. If we have eyes to see, if we are sensitive, if we are going to evaluate, we see oppression all around us. Just because it is so thoroughly ingrained in our culture in our society and yes even in our souls we're going to see in just a few moments we should not be blind to it we should not allow ourselves to become apathetic towards it we need to be on the alert and ready to be involved in seeking to end oppression wherever we see it found Solomon had Considered oppression earlier in uh, the uh, previous sections of the book of Ecclesiastes. And when he did so, he looked at it under the rubric of injustice. Injustice. But now he's going to visit that subject again, and he's going to look at it under a different uh, focus, uh, a different insight. And that, he, that is, he's going to look at the misery of oppression. If you don't have your Bibles open, I invite you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, as Solomon takes a second look at oppression. Ecclesiastes 4.1 Then I looked again a second time. And all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. This morning's message is uh, eight words to draw our attention to the biblical teaching regarding oppression. I have eight main points this morning. Each of them have an M word uh, to make them a little more uh, recognizable and uh, understandable. And uh, I'm afraid that we have to look at this passage in somewhat of a cursory fashion this morning. If you do the math, if we have eight points, and uh, I spend five minutes on each point, that's 40 minutes. So uh, we need to move rather quickly. I'm going to try to spend about four minutes on each point. But we want to be looking at oppression. And what does the Bible teach us about this very important subject? So we begin by looking at the meaning of oppression. In verse 1, the word oppression occurs three times. Notice in verse 1. Then I looked again at the acts of oppression, number one, which were being done on the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, number two, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressors, number three, was power but they had no one to comfort them. This section is obviously about oppression. So, what is it to be oppressed? Well, to be oppressed is to be wronged. It is to be abused, to be exploited, to be mistreated, to be treated with violence, or to be taken advantage of. To be oppressed is, is to abuse power, whether that power be financial, emotional, physical, or sociological. There are many different ways that one person or one entity, can, doesn't necessarily just have to be a person, it can be a government, it can be a community, it can be a, a gang of friends, or it can be a parent towards a child, and a myriad of relationships. But it is when people use power or authority in a way that is inappropriate. Sometimes associated with bloodshed or injustice or the denial of rights. So let's look then at the manifestation of oppression. It's found in verse 1. It said, I looked again at the acts of oppression which were being done... Under the sun. Oppression comes in many different forms. Some are more egregious than others. Servitude or slavery arguably is is the worst as we think of the slave trade as it was practiced. uh, First in uh, England and then in the United States. Uh, can't imagine going to another land, a, a foreign continent, Uh, taking people against their their will, uh, uprooting them from their their families, uh, putting them in shackles and bondage, transporting them on ships in very humane conditions in which many of the slaves died only to come uh, to a new world, to be placed on an auction block, to be sold, uh, and then uh, to be treated in absolutely horrendous ways simply to promote The financial well-being of another person that is terrible that's terrible there are many nations on the face of this earth where there are leaders dictators that are severely oppressing their people denying them rights denying them freedoms denying them opportunities and privileges Uh, we should never lose sight of what a blessing that we have to live in this country in which we do have many freedoms. That does not mean that there is not oppression, but there are many, many freedoms that we enjoy in the United States of America that peoples around the world do not enjoy. But there are many lesser forms of oppression as well. There are many lesser ways in which one person seeks to profit by the misuse of Another individual. In the Old Testament. One of the most common ways. Of addressing oppression. Has to do with with wages. Leviticus 19.13. It says. Do not defraud your neighbor. Or rob him. Do not hold back. The wages of a hired man overnight. Deuteronomy 24.14 and 15. Do not take advantage of a hired man. Who is poor and needy whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and counting on it. Do not oppress the widow or fatherless, the alien or the poor. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the alien, the poor, the disadvantaged people that cannot stand up and defend themselves don't take advantage of them is what the word of god says repeatedly proverbs 14:31 he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker but whoever is kind to the needy honors god you see oppression goes against the very Uh, essence of who God is. God is a God who wants to free us and bless us. Oppression wants to put people down and bring them into servitude in some way. In the Ten Commandments, we find that there are two great commandments. The first is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our soul and all our strength. The second is is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, oppression flies in the face of that second commandment, of loving your neighbor as yourself, of treating others as you would want to be treated. And so Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for his maker. That's why I find it so incongruous in John Newton's life That he, after being converted, would continue on in that slave trade so long. But it shows us how easily we can overlook and fail to see areas of our own lives in which God would be displeased. In which we are, in fact, profiting from uh, oppression. And so now we move to the misery of oppression. Down in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1. With the words, And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed. I saw the tears of the oppressed. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Solomon, previous in Ecclesiastes, had looked at oppression and he saw the injustice. He saw the immorality. He saw the inappropriateness. He saw its incorrectness, but he turned a a deaf ear, a blind eye to the misery that the oppression was causing. And so in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 1, it says, I looked again. I looked with new eyes. And what did he see when he looked again? And he said, and behold, I saw The tears of the oppressed. That's the advancement. That's the nuance. That is what now differs from what Solomon had been saying in the first three chapters. Now he's looking at the tears. The misery that oppression creates. Solomon is sensitive to the plight of the oppressed. You see, that's where we really need to begin as we relate to other people. To be sensitive to the plight of those individuals that are oppressed. To see the misery. To take knowledge of the tears. And because... Oppression is all around us, so that Ecclesiastes says, don't be surprised when you see the oppressed. Because it is everywhere, it is so easy to become desensitized to it. It's easy to watch the evening news and see what's going on in Syria and just walk away without any lasting sense of remorse, or heartache for people who are being slain, killed innocently and being denied the simplest and basic rights. It's easy to see ways in which people in this country, poor people, are being taken advantage of. You know where bread costs the most? You know where food Prices are the highest It's in slum areas because people don't have the opportunity to get out and to buy elsewhere. It is commonplace to take advantage of people who are poor, of people who are unable to stand up for themselves. And so we need to see the misery of the oppressions. And then fourthly, to see the masters of oppression. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 1. Now I looked again at the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power. Power. Power, whether it is economical, political, or sociological, oppression can occur in any situation where one person is, for whatever reason, more powerful than another. You see, it can be in areas where one person is under the authority of another, whether that be a government and a citizen, whether that be an employer An employee, whether that be a teacher, a student, whatever there is an inequity, wherever there is a difference in power, there is the possibility of oppression. The bully in the schoolyard who is stronger than a weakling that he is picking on can intimidate, can be oppressive, someone who has more money, can influence others in such a way as to cause them to be oppressed they can lend money at exorbitant amount of interest and in all kinds of ways you see there are there are a myriad of ways in which people can be oppressed, and the oppressed are helpless to do anything about it so now number five the Misfortune of the oppressed, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one, comes in the last phrase, "The misfortune of the oppressed, but they had no one to comfort them, no one to comfort them. Here comfort is being used in the broadest sense of that word. There was no one to help them. No one to encourage them. No one, on the least aspect of that scale, to speak kindly to them. To seek to alleviate their their misery, their hardship, their difficulty. No one to help to deliver them. To alleviate their oppression. No one to show mercy to them. No one to free them. No one to help them overcome the plight that they are in. How unlike that is, you see, in the character and person of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 34, it states, and I quote, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their groans, and I have come down to deliver them. come now, God says to Moses, and I will send you to Egypt. God said, I heard and clearly have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. God saw their tears. God heard their groanings. and he said, I have come down to deliver my people and he says to Moses, and I Will send you. I will send you. We need to see ourselves as agents of God's redemptive work. And so often we live that, limit that redemptive work to the uh, salvation of the soul. And that is extremely important. And I in no wise want to downplay that great significance. It is truly uh, marvelous that God delivers our soul, that uh, we can be freed from the bondage of sin, that we can enjoy peace with God forever, that we have a, a hope of being with Him for all eternity future. That is a great message. But it is not the whole message of redemption. Because God came to deliver a people. And we have a responsibility In that deliverance. God wants us to be concerned about the poor. God wants us to be concerned about the people who aren't experiencing justice. God wants us to address issues of right and wrong. Where government is overstepping its bounds. And being involved in hideous crimes against humanity. We are to rise up. Solomon laments that they have no one to comfort them. No one to help them. So we need to be concerned. Number six, the morbidness. The morbidness of the oppressed. Ecclesiastes 4.2 So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off of them is the one who has never existed who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Again, we are looking at the situation under the sun. We are looking at the situation from a non-Christian perspective. That's important to keep in mind. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1 Again we have the Terminology under the sun, you have heard me say it it repeatedly, but I'm going to say it every time it comes up in the text. Whatever talks about under the sun is talking about life from a worldly or earthly perspective. Under the heaven, we look at life from a godly perspective, from a Christian perspective, if you will. So here it's looking at life from a a non-Christian perspective, and it's not simply saying that to be dead is better than to be alive. That's not what Ecclesiastes teaches. In fact, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 says, The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that has come will be So, let him rejoice in his days. Let them be many. So, on the one hand, Ecclesiastes is saying, long life is a good thing. It's wonderful and should be enjoyed. Our text says, better off dead than alive. And better yet, that you had never lived at all. But in the context, it's talking about those who are oppressed. And if you look at it simply from a human perspective under the sun you come to the conclusion if you are one who is oppressed that you're better off dead than you are alive that they could easily wish that they were dead rather than living that is a reality And that's how many people feel today. That's the extent of their misery. That is the essence of their tears. In fact, many who are oppressed um, take their life. They commit suicide. They want to escape life at any cost. And others who are oppressed, and we see it every night on the evening news, are willing to risk their lives, are willing to stand up and oppose a government, seek to overthrow it. Why do they risk their lives? Because they look at themselves and say, what am I to lose? How could it get any worse? How can I be in any worse plight that I am in rather than standing up and seeking to rebel and to overthrow? So they want to die. They want to die. I hope we can understand that. And I hope that we can relate to that. Because we are looking at life under the sun. Sometimes we forget what incredible resource we have as a people of God. What a blessing God is in our life. What a joy to know that we have a comforter. What a delight to know that He is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. To know that we have an advocate, a good shepherd, a guardian of our souls. One who hears and answers our prayers. Put yourself in the shoes of an individual who has no hope or trust in God. What encouragement do they have? What solace do they experience? What balm of healing? What salve? What expectation? How do they ever expect things to be better? Unless you think that I over-exaggerate this morning, Think with me about two individuals in the Word of God. Two individuals that we hold in high esteem, high regard. One of them is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a a tremendous prophet, used of God. A great spokesman for the people of God. But Jeremiah was sorely oppressed. He met with a lot of adversity as a result of bringing the Word of God uh, to the nation. And in that adversity, listen to the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 20, verse 14. 14, Cursed be the day that I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who, who brought news to my father. A baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. But let him be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting. Let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon because he did not kill me from my birth so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame if Jeremiah could say oh I wish that I had never been born oh I wish I would have died in childbirth I wish that somebody would have killed me if those words could come out of the lips of Jeremiah should we be amazed that an unbeliever would want to die rather than to experience the oppression that they are going through. How about Job? We are told in the beginning of Job that he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth the most righteous man on the face of the earth. And yet, Job was going through a lot of misery and hardship. He knew a lot of physical anguish. He knew a lot of torment. And he had three friends that came with the expressed intention of being a help to them. To which he replied, you are miserable counselors. Because they did not relieve his pain and anguish, they only added to it. Because they were saying that he was in this situation because of his sin. And he needed to repent. And he knew that wasn't the situation. And so the one area of comfort that he had, and that is in his relationship to God, they were bringing into question. Job... Chapter 3, verse 1. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born and the night which said, A boy is conceived. Job said, I wished that I was never born. If the most righteous person can get to that place of depth, should we be amazed and should we be indifferent that people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior and despair of life? They do. Let's look at the motivation of the oppressors. This is What gets to be the most frightening and terrifying part, I think, of this whole section. Jesus 4, verse 4. And I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. NIV, I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. Envy, rivalry, that at the very basis of fallen humanity is an innate desire to be exalted over another, to get ahead, to prosper to be better off than our than our neighbors we use such terms as trying to keep up with the joneses of wanting to be the best in the class the fastest in the race and you see there's nothing wrong with wanting to better ourselves there's absolutely nothing wrong in Wanting to achieve more for ourselves. The difficulty comes when we do so in comparison with someone else. We feel better when we are superior to someone else. We feel better about ourselves when we feel richer than somebody else. When we feel smarter than someone else. When we feel in some ways superior to someone else. That is sinful. The scripture says that we are to consider other people better than ourselves. But it is amazing how we can close our eyes to those qualities within us just as John Newton closed his eyes to the slave trade that he was involved in. The pride that wants us to be better than others. And so it says that that is what drives the workplace. That's why people work so hard to have a nicer house than somebody else has, to have a newer car than somebody else has, to be better off than somebody else is. We can hide behind rationalizations like we toil so that uh, because we love our family, we have concern for our community, Um, perhaps even we want to serve God, but all too often, all too often the truth of the matter is we just want to get ahead. We just want to promote ourselves just want a little higher standard of living than other people possess. That is at the very heart of oppression. You see, why did the plantation owners in southern United States so drastically want slavery when in the north it was opposed. The answer is the economic conditions. In the north, it was all about industry. And you didn't need a lot of, of labor in order to uh, have a high standard of living. In the south, it was cotton. It was tobacco. It needed a lot of free labor. And so, plantations bought slaves. Why? Why? So that the masters could live in a lap of luxury. So they could have homes with columns. So that they could be treated with respect and have servants come and serve them their dinners. Because they wanted a higher standard of living. It is so easy to look at another period of time, it's so easy to look at another situation and whack our heads. But that green-eyed jealousy is still among us today. And there are a lot of people that are profiting at the expense of the disadvantaged. And there's no one to help. So, let's look at the moral concerning oppression. What are we to learn from this? Well, the first, the answer is not for us to be totally unmotivated. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. So it's not saying don't do anything. It's not saying, well, then quit work. Well, then, if that's what's motivating us, work must be evil and bad. No, 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 no. It's not saying that. It's not saying that at all. However, however, Ecclesiastes 4, 6 is that we ought to reach the place of being satisfied. Jesus 4, verse 6. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. So it's an odd proverb. But it's saying one handful of rest is better than two hands full of labor and striving after wind. And there the striving after wind is for to be the best. To be the best. You know, it's, let's pick on somebody that's easy to pick on. Think about the uh, professional athlete who signs a $130 million uh, contract and then becomes upset because somebody else has gotten a $160 million contract. As though they couldn't live on the $130 million. What's the issue here? The issue is now somebody's considered a better athlete. Now someone is considered to be more important. It's simply not about how much money it is. It's because it's more than I'm getting. Have you ever found yourself looking around, and it's not about the dollar amount, but you say to yourself, how come that person's getting more than I'm getting? Why is that person making more than what I'm making? You ever find yourself saying that? you ever find yourself pleased when you get a raise? Not just because of the dollar amount, but because there's this sense I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm being promoted. And the very idea of promotion is that you are rising above somebody else. And so we use terminology like climbing the corporate ladder. Beautiful word picture. Climbing the corporate ladder. Getting above. Higher than someone else. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says, One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor. To have your, your full, to hold on to it tightly. On what you want and never let it go. Don't share it with someone else. Don't give it to someone else. Don't use it to leave it because it's yours and you want it and you won't let it go. That's a name in us. That's a a part of us. Just the other night, Felix, that's Ruth's little boy, was with us. Uh, He's how old? Ten months. Ten months old. And uh, he had gotten hold of a piece of foil. And of course, you know, everybody, every 10-month-old puts whatever they have in their hand, in, uh, in their mouth. And so he got this piece of foil in his hand. And he's clenching it. And, and Bonnie said to him, you can't have that. And she went to take it out of his hand. He wouldn't let it go. She said, you can't have it. And, pull it. and we're talking about a 10-month-old. And a piece of foil... It's not the easiest thing to rip in the world. And she's pulling on it, and he's pulling on it, and it tore. Because he was unwilling to let it go. Unfortunately, there, are, there is this sense of unwillingness to share with others what we have. We teach our children from little on up that they need to learn to share. They need to learn to play well with others. Let them use your toys. And and God bless those people in the nursery this morning that are working on trying to get those kids to share their, their toys. Well, it's a lesson we need to learn when we are in our 50s and 60s as well. Share our toys. Share the blessings. But most importantly... Guard that innate desire within us to be better than somebody else. Oh, try to be better than yourself. Always seek to improve. Always want to be a better you. But don't use it in comparison. One handful of rest is better than two fistfuls of labor and striving after win. Ephesians 4.28, a wonderful verse in the Scripture, says this, Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. What a transformation. Moving from stealing to working, not just so that you meet your need by working as opposed to stealing, but now so that you have something to share with someone else to move from wanting to take from someone to want to give to someone let's guard our hearts let's guard our hearts so in conclusion this morning there is the horrors of of slaveries of injustices that we see but they are not just slavery they work their ways into all areas of society so four things first Let us be on guard that we are not the cause of other people's suffering and hardship. Let's be on guard. Let's ask ourselves, is there any way that we are contributing to other people's misery? Are we in some way using our influence that harms someone else? That's worth asking. Secondly, then, may we not be insensitive to the hardship and suffering that other people experience. Let's not turn a cold shoulder, a blind eye. Let's not be insensitive. May we feel and sense their tears. It is so easy to look at non-believers and to grow dull in our hearts and say, they deserve what they're getting. They made their bed, now lie in it. Oh, that we might be sensitive and realize that if a Job can say, I wish that I had never been born. Think about a non-believer and what they are facing in life and how miserable they are. Thirdly, may we not be complacent or apathetic as we view the heartache and suffering that others are experiencing. May we actively seek to alleviate it. May we realize that they have no comforter. And somehow, may we seek to help. Lastly, may we be that comforter that is is missing. Let's work hard at rejoicing with people who are being advanced. Let's work hard at rejoicing in someone who's better off than I am. To be happy when we hear that they have bought a new car. To be excited about the fact that that they are able to move into a bigger home. To rejoice with them. And at the same time to weep over others who find themselves in difficult and hard circumstances. May we learn the lessons of oppression. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this morning to be concerned with the oppressed. Help us to guard our own hearts that so we not uh, contribute to the oppression of others. May we be careful even as there are our children in this sanctuary today, Lord, help them to guard their own hearts that, that they're not mean to other children, that they're not seeking to put them down, that they're not ridiculing, making fun of them, certainly not taunting them or beating them up or making them feel uncomfortable, unwanted, unappreciated, unloved. Oh, Lord, this is not just an issue for children. Help us in our own lives to look at the way in which we interact with other people. May we truly be concerned about the injustices in this world. May our hearts grieve for those around this, this, this globe that are experiencing incredible injustices and a main uh, treatment. And Lord, may our hearts break for them. May we pray for them. May one of our motivations be in looking at a lost world to try to alleviate some of the sadness in their marriages some of the inequities in the home, some of the parental misguidance that is taking place. Oh Lord, help us to see that as part of the redemptive work of the people of God as we seek to bring your blessings to others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.